turn in your Bible this morning to the book of James, James chapter 1. We'll be looking at the first few verses of James chapter 1. When Byron Dawn was pastor of the Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee, he tells a story about one of his friends who found herself in the midst of a great many challenges. First of all, her husband went blind. Then he came down with an incurable disease. She, on top of all this, herself had a slight stroke and had to retire from her job as a secretary and really went home to become a full-time, well, seeing-eye wife, helping her husband. They had a, a lot of friends, but no children to help them during this difficult time. Being an encourager, Byron said to her, I want you to know that we are praying for you. I want you to know that we're praying for you. I appreciate that, she said, but would you tell me, what are you praying for? I appreciate that, but would you tell me, what are you praying for God to do? Was the essence of her question. She was serious. She waited patiently for Byron's response. He said he struggled for a moment. He'd never been confronted by someone asking such a candid question when he says, I'm praying for you. And so he pondered. And then he said, well, if it's God's will, I'm, I'm praying for you to be healed. I'm praying for you to have strength. I'm praying for you to have God's mercy in the midst of your pain. Those are the things I'm praying for you. Thank you, she replied. But could I ask you to pray for one more thing in my life? Well, sure, the pastor said. Would you pray that I do not waste all of this suffering? Would you pray that I do not waste all of this suffering? You and I have a fundamental problem. Our problem is that our goal in life, our aim, the thing for which we strive for more than anything else is our individual satisfaction. What we really pursue in life is our own happiness. We have made, as a Western culture, we have made happiness the passion and zeal of our lives. But your happiness is not God's goal for you. Happiness is not what God ultimately has in mind as the end game for his disciples. No, God wants us to glorify him. God's will for you and God's will for me is not happiness at all, but rather his own glorification for, after all, he is God. He's the creator, and we're the creatures. When our youngest daughter, Chandler, was three, she loved sherbet. She called it orange ice cream and green ice cream. Daddy, I ate all my meat, she would say. Can I have some ice cream? No matter how much I put in her bowl, 
After she had finished the portion that I'd measured out for her, she would say something along the lines of, Daddy, I want just a little bit more ice cream. She has always been a very good negotiator. She still is. So I learned to play a game. I would calculate how much green ice cream I wanted her have, and then I'd move back just a little bit and give her a little bit less because no matter how much I gave her, in the end it would be a little bit more, Daddy. You see, my goal was not for Chandler just to have ice cream all the time. I wanted her to have fruits and veg vegetables. Her happiness or just pleasing her was not my goal. What was best for her was not exactly what she wanted as a three-year-old. God, likewise, doesn't always give us happiness. He doesn't always give us the ice cream. His de desire for us is not our happiness. That is an American Western goal. His desire for us is his own glorification. We exist to worship him and praise him and glorify him. His goal for us is that we, is that we become more Christ-like as the Spirit of God indwells in us, that we would be transformed into spiritual beings. Now, I'm not seeking suffering for myself this morning. I promise you that. And I'm not seeking suffering for you. But we live in a culture that disdains suffering rather than accepts it. And quite frankly, that's not the gospel of the God of Scripture. The television preacher will tell us that we should be healthy and, and wealthy and no difficulties or trials should come our way. Her admonition to us that we should simply rebuke the pain or rebuke the suffering as though it were something strange and foreign, something that shouldn't be in the lives of God's people. God's people should not, she says, experience pain and suffering. That's not what James says. The very brother of Jesus Look at James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let the endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James gives us three steps to make sure we don't waste all the suffering in our lives. First of all, embrace the trials. Embrace the trials. Consider it all joy, he says. Embrace the trials. A, trials are unavoidable. Embrace the trials, number one. A, trials are unavoidable. There was an old seminary professor who greeted all incoming first-year students with a hard dose of reality, he would say to the students, if your life is good, if all is going well for you right now, if everything is just as you've planned it in your life, you just wait. Hardships will come. Trials will knock at the door. Testing will come 
your way. I want you to notice here that James does not use a conditional clause. Consider it all joy, brethren, if. He doesn't say if, if trials come. It is not in the Greek text a conditional construction. Rather, it is a temporal construction. It says when trials come. Consider it all joy, my brothers, not if you encounter trials, but rather when you encounter trials. Testing, trials, suffering, pain, disappointment are part of the life of the people of God. Some of you here this morning are suffering from various trials. Some of you, it's a difficult relationship, a difficult marriage. Your fairy tale dream has turned into a nightmare. You can't even pinpoint when it all started, when it all happened, but slowly over time, you and your spouse have grown away from each other and, well, being at home more these days really has caused more trouble than cure it. And now everything that you had hoped for and dreamt about in that relationship is missing. Everything you longed for is gone. Many of you suffer due to the shutdown from uncertain job situations. Probably nobody watching by way of television, no one in your family or friends really understands the anxiety and the financial pressures that you feel pressing down upon you this morning. Some of you suffer from a longing, from an insatiable desire to be a father or a mother or to be a father or a mother again. Despite all the testing and the expenses, despite all the anxiety and the stress and the constant disappointment, God has not yet gifted you with a baby. There's not a day. In fact, there's hardly an hour that goes by that you don't think about that. It hurts. It's a trial. Others of you have just been diagnosed with a disease by your physician and your body is aging and the young among us don't understand that our bodies sometimes just wear out. As one man told me when I asked him how he was doing, he said, half of my body parts don't work and the parts that work hurt. So that's the way life goes when you get older. Some of you even today are waiting test results waiting for the doctor to outline the treatment that you'll receive. Some of you suffer from disobedient children who have decided to go their own way, and Jesus' parable, the prodigal son, is being played out in your own family, or a prodigal daughter, and you hurt, and you're disappointed, and the pain is so severe, and you want the very best for your child, as God wants the best for all of his children. But as God gives us freedom, you've given your children freedom, and it's difficult. Some of you have been at the graveside. Despite the COVID-19 crisis, the funerals have not stopped. In fact, they've just increased. For you, that person that loved you the most, the one with whom you had the closest relationship, your husband, your wife, all of a sudden, they're gone. 
and life is empty, the sting of death. Or maybe just in general, the COVID-19 crisis has caused your life to be turned upside down and inside out. If you're not at the, the moment of trials this morning, like James says, they will come. When they come, the trials are unavoidable. Also, there be there unexpected. When you face trials or encounter trials, the word encounter is a word for surprise. It means to fall into or to surround around. In fact, you remember Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 10, the man who's overtaken by the thieves on his way to Jericho. It's the same word used here. Our trials, like an ambush, like commandos, they swoop down out of nowhere, and we don't expect them to come today, and they do. In fact, the nature of a trial is that it's unexpected. From the word trial, in Greek, we get our English word pirate. Like pirates, trials ambush us and attack us, the unsuspecting believer. See, trials are unpredictable in their nature. They're all various kinds of trials. This word for various trials is the same word that's used for Joseph Multicolored tunic, various colors, various trials. Some of our trials are emotional, and, and some of our trials are physical, and some of our trials are a personal experience. And for others of us, the trial is when something happens to our child or our mom or our dad, and we find ourselves living in the midst of the chaos, of the pain of our family. And perhaps you even think, I never thought that this would happen to my family. I never thought this would happen to us. Trials are unpredictable in nature. Trials come in a different color. This varied colored tunic trials are various trials. They match every one of our personalities. Joel Gregory says that trials have people's zip codes and thumbprints on them. What may shake the foundation of one person's life may not even touch another. God only asked Abraham, not Joseph or Moses, to sacrifice his son. And Jesus only asked the rich young ruler to go and sell everything that he has. He didn't ask that of Nicodemus. But God had a trial to match to test the faith of every person, and no two people have trials that are exactly alike. When our trials come, it, it seems like they're wave after wave. They come in battalions, don't they? Shakespeare said, when sorrows come, they come not as single spies, but in battalions. Everything sometimes, it seems, happens all at once. We must embrace trials as God's instrument of change. Suffering really does change us, doesn't it? How much differently we see life after we've gone through a difficulty, through some pain or a trial. How differently we evaluate everyone and everything around us when we're in the midst of searing soreness. 
When you're around someone who's never experienced much pain or trials or suffering, sometimes they become shallow and judgmental, and sometimes they live in a black and white judgmental world, but you let suffering enter a life, you let pain or a trial enter his life, and all of a sudden, their demeanor's, demeanor is different, isn't it? They're kind, they're patient, they're long-suffering, they're gentle, they're filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Like those rocks that I held in my hand, indeed, God uses the waters of the turmoil of our life to pound us and shape us and mold us and smooth us. And the disciple, he wants us to be. Suffering molds and makes us into the people of God. I read an article about a young mother and father who both carried an extremely rare genetic disorder called Zellweger's syndrome. The syndrome causes severe birth defects in newborns. It changes the quality of life and the life expectancy and the chances of an individual carrying the gene are one in 160. The chances of two individuals carrying the gene, marrying and having a child with it are one in 100,000. One in 100,000 chance. Unfortunately, this family beat the odds and gave birth to a child possessing the syndrome and the child died. And after the loss of that child, the couple did certain medical procedures and steps to prevent the same outcome in the next child. And now their odds were one in 200,000. And astonishingly, at the time the article was written, they were interviewing the mom and she was carrying another baby that also had the rare malady, one in 200,000 chances. It was nearly more than the family could take, of course, and they struggled to understand as Christians why God would allow this exquisite rare pain not once but twice in their family. And the mother said at the end of the article, if God asked me to suffer this significantly, I think there's something significant he wants to do with it through me, if only in my heart. If God asks me to suffer this significantly, I think there's something significant he wants me to do with it through me, if only in my heart. Well, first of all, embrace the suffering. Second of all, endure the trials. There's a song that was going around, don't worry, be happy. It's a pleasant tune, but it's a horrible philosophy because sometimes we do have some things that do not make us happy. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We don't know who we really are until we face the pains and trials of our lives. Our, our true character comes out when the road gets rough and difficult. Peter says the same thing in, in 1 Peter when he says, our suffering is like the fire that purifies the gold. Job says it too. Job 23.10, when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. You can build an enormous boat all day long, but as long as it sits on the dry dock, you don't know if the boat is seaworthy or not. It takes the wind, it takes the sea to test the boat, to tell us, will the boat actually float in the water? You get a new recruit in the army, and you don't know until there's enemy fire what kind of soldier he or she 
will be. You see, the Christian gospel is not the gospel of a good start, but rather it's the gospel of a good finish. Jesus told the parable about the sower who sowed the seed and some of it went on the rocky ground and all of a sudden it sprouted up and it looked like a healthy plant, but then the shallow soil, it, it withered and it faded and it wasn't true seed. Or there's it was sown amongst the thorns and they grew at first and then choked out. The gospel is not the gospel of a good start, but rather it is the gospel of a good finish. Anyone can start the Christian pilgrimage, but the real question is, through the trials of life, will you hold the faith? God made Abraham wait 25 years before he gave him the son he promised. Joseph was 13 years from the pit to the prison before he made it to the palace. And Moses was 80 years of age before he ever figured out what God had called him to do with his life. You cannot buy spiritual maturity, synthetic maturity. God must mold us and shape us with the rivers of our lives. Pain is that visitor that comes at our door, knocks at the most unexpected time. The doorbell rings when you're unprepared. The dogs start barking. The kids are half naked. The toys are strewn all over the floor. You just got out of the shower. You don't have any makeup on. And at just that time, the unexpected knock. One day, maybe already, you're going to hear that knock at your door. It's going to be suffering. A trial. A death. Dementia. Divorce. Hardship. Disappointment. Maybe even a pandemic pounding at your door. A trial that refuses to stay outside. The last word is evaluate the trials. I don't make God seem too human-like this morning, but he is called our Father in his scripture. God often has the feelings of his creation. Jesus does weep at Lazarus's tomb. Fred Craddock tells a story about a minister who was born with, he had no arms, nothing from the, the shoulder beyond. And the minister tells a story that his mother always dressed him and put his clothes on. And one day she just came in and said, today is the day you learn to dress yourself. She stormed out of the room and shut the door. He said he kicked and he screamed and he yelled, you don't love me anymore. You always dress me. I don't have any arms. There's no way. You just don't love me anymore, Mama. And he was literally in his room for hours trying to put on his clothes with no arms. And finally, struggling for hours, he got his clothes on. He said it wasn't until years later that he learned his mother was in the room next door weeping. God doesn't send us trials as a killjoy. 
but rather taking no pleasure in our pain, he uses the fire of our life to purify us, to make us righteous, so that we might be willing, and through Jesus, even worthy to glorify him. C.S. Lewis once wrote, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. We're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're just wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. I pray God's best for your life is not any more painful than it has to be. And when the pain comes, please, oh please, don't waste, don't waste all this suffering. Let us pray. Oh God, we come to you today even in the midst of our own hardships and trials, and every one of us has a various trial, a different colored trial. We need your grace and your peace and your healing and your hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.